I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Donner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. I never would have imagined last year today that I would have the opportunity to interview or even meet my next guest, the one and only Mr. Dr. Joe Vitale. He has inspired me in my life since I saw him on the movie The Secret back in 2006. Now, 15 years later, after many of his courses that I've taken and books that I've read from this incredible man, I am about to meet him. Just the way that he teaches has always been really easy for me to understand. His books are like listening to him speak, and they're so interesting to hear all of his stories and lessons in his life. I even interviewed his partner, Lisa Winston, a few weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to her amazing story and how they met and what journey they are on together. There are so many topics I can discuss with Joe today. I wanted to narrow it down because he has written 80 books and has so many courses on so many things. This interview could go on for days and even months with all of this information and all of his wisdom. We will for sure discuss the law of attraction, his book on why money loves speed, and the attractor factor. That was the book that got him recognized by Rhonda Byrne, the creator of the movie, The Secret. Another very fascinating topic he believes in is Ho'oponopono. This, it's an ancient Hawaiian exercise to clear and clean out your subconscious mind. I actually learned that technique when I attended the Tony Robbins seminar, Date with Destiny, back in 2018. He has two books on that subject, Zero Limits and At Zero. I just finished reading At Zero, and all I can say is I will never view my life and the world the same. I really want to discuss that today too, because I feel like it's such a powerful tool we can all use to empower our lives and live without the self-limiting beliefs we all have and face each day and open up the endless possibilities we all can have now and believe in our hearts that we can really be, do, or have anything. I think you will get get it by now that I am a huge fan of Dr. Joe Vitale, and this interview means the world to me. For all of you listening, I know you will be reading his books, taking his courses, and following his Instagram and Facebook videos after this interview. He is a messenger from God in my mind, and we can all benefit from his message. Before we get started on our interview, let me tell you a brief background about Joe before we begin. Dr. Joe Vitale is one of the finest American authors of all time. His book, The Attractor Factor, Five Easy Steps for Creating Wealth, managed to become the best-selling book twice, even defeating the famous Harry Potter book. Some of his other best-selling books include 
Life's Missing Instruction Manual, Attract Money Now, Zero Limits, Faith, The Key, and At Zero. Apart from authoring books, he is the world's first self-help singer-songwriter who has released more than 15 albums. He was first recognized as one of the main speakers on the movie The Secret and has changed so many lives by his wisdom and knowledge on the law of attraction and so many other genres we will discuss today. So without further ado, please welcome the Dr. Joe Vitale to the show. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this moment. I hear great things about you, so it's great to finally meet you. Oh, it's so great to finally meet you. I, Gosh, I've followed you for since I saw you in The Secret. I've wow. read your books. I've l- taken your courses online. You know, I just and know your story, and I think it's well, you don't so, need me here then. You can go ahead and I'll just, just tell talk. the story. <laughs> tell everybody. <laughs> but I want, you know, just, to, you know, thinking of where you came from and really what, what made you the person you are today at what's almost 70, right? Well, I'm 67, yeah. 67. I round yeah, it off too. Let's not go to 70 But I yet. usually go backwards and say 60. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and what is age anyway? But, you know, when you think of what your story and everyone has a story, and how we uncover our magic and how I teach. I teach children law of attraction. I don't know if Lisa told you, but that's no, what I, I think do. That's beautiful. That's actually come up a few times in other interviews. And I thought, I wish somebody was teaching law of attraction to children. Yes. So here you are. I did not know that. I do. And it's called Raising Confidence. Wow. And it kind of um, was an offshoot of this podcast because I had moms listening to this saying, could you teach some of Ashley's magic to my kids? Because, you know, during the pandemic, you know, I have two daughters, 12 and 14, and I've taught them law of attraction. You know, Paige was born in 2006 when The Secret came out. When I was watching you on the screen and then I had the book and I was passing out the book and saying, oh, my gosh, when this girl can talk and listen, she's going to be doing all of this. So they've done that their whole life. And for my dream for my children and the children I teach is that those limiting beliefs that that you talk about, that we'll talk about today, you know, that stop you and the fear that, you know, all that think if you can have, be or do anything to inspire these kids to know that they can and how powerful they are, then life is just going to be so much, you know, easier and, you know, understanding this, that life can be that way when you can open your eyes and see the magic. And I love that you are introducing them to this uh, actually before they're even born, because if they were in you and you're watching the movie and reading the books on some level, they're they're absorbing this before they're conscious enough to know what's going on. So I I marvel at that and I applaud you for doing that. Oh, thank you. It's my passion. And I followed my intuition. Like you say, like that one thing, right? You find your passion. And if someone doesn't know what that is until I really feel it, Mm -hmm. I get up at four in the morning because I can't wait to talk to these kids and do the messages. And it's just my passion, Mm. you know, and it's the money when it comes. Great. If doesn't, I am. That's my passion. I think that's what's more important than anything else. Follow your passion, pursue your passion, ride your passion. It'll take you places that you can't predict and you can't think through. So follow it. And I found that when you do follow it, you do get the riches on different levels, some of it financial, some of it in romance, health experiences, and it's the riches of life. Mm -hmm. And it's in many ways, absolutely priceless, but it's unique to each person. Yes, for sure. But to find that, 
and to know and discover it and listen to your intuition, right, is the key to take those steps, to take that lead of what God or the divine is speaking to you and trust and go, right? Okay, let's go into you. Let's go into your story of going out to homelessness and all the things and how you created this you know, this one moment where you realize it wasn't one moment, but can we go back a little bit? Because I still want to go deeper into things. So kind of go where you want to go. Well, I uh, am glad to share any of it. I used to not talk about being homeless because it was too freaking embarrassing. (laughs) It was a traumatic experience, not something I was uh, proud of. But I've learned that when people realize that I was homeless and that I was in poverty for 10 years, And that they see where I'm at now, they think, well, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And that's why I openly share it. It's just to give people inspiration, to give them hope, to give them motivation. Back then, it was in the 1970s when I was homeless. So there's no internet. Coaching isn't anything but literally coaching and football coaches. We don't have it as personal development coaches. At least I wasn't aware of it. But I lived in the Dallas Public Library, literally. It had air conditioning, it had a bathroom, it had water, and it had what I loved and still love, you can look behind me and see it, books. Mm -hmm. And I would devour those books and they kept pointing to inside of me, inside of me. I'm creating my reality because of what I'm thinking and doing. And boy, when you're homeless or even when you're in poverty, those kind of statements are hard to take Mm -hmm. because you keep thinking, what's wrong with me? If I actually did this, why would I do this? And as you pointed out, there were several turning points, but there was one in particular. And that's when I, it dawned on me that I was modeling my life unconsciously on the lives of authors I admired, but had been self-destructive authors. Jack London, who wrote Call of the Wild and uh, White Fang and a very famous American classic of literature. uh, He was dead by the age of 40. He had an adventurous life. He was alcoholic. He was suicidal. And he did take his own life, died by his own hand. And I was unconsciously following him and Ernest Hemingway, who also died by his own hand after an adventurous life. And I was making life harder than what it needed to be. I was self-creating the drama, the trauma, the ups and, well, very few ups, but most of the downs. that I was going through. Now, of course, I would deny that if you flew back in time and came up to me on the streets in 1976 or so, I'd deny it. I might even hit you. It's like, this is insulting. This is not what I'd be doing. I want to be an author. That's my dream. But this is my point. Every one of us is being driven by unconscious beliefs. And until we look at those unconscious, subconscious beliefs and clear them up, We're going to be self-sabotaging ourselves. We're going to be going through the same experiences. We're going to go in circles in many ways. Very often, I will ask people, do you seem to notice that you have the same problem over and over again? Whether it's a relationship problem, it's a money problem, it's a health problem. It's unique to each person. But we all know people who say they always have a relationship problem. Mm -hmm. Why is that? And part of it is their unconscious, subconscious beliefs. And once we take care of those, then we can move forward, have, do, and be what we dreamed about. So I had to do that, but I took a long time to do it because I was doing it by myself. 
no coach, no mentor, no internet, no free programs, no wonderful people like you doing these shows. And so it was a lonely path. To but get you here. knew you wanted to be an author. You knew that when you're in that library, because that's your like, <clears throat> love to be surrounded by books and read. Well, books were always my best friends. They were my safety. They were uh, reliable. They were always entertaining. They were there whenever I wanted them. I didn't have to worry about books. They would, they would be there, whether it was through the library or eventually when I could afford books, I'd just go and buy my own library and build it up, which is what I have today. But I also know, because I know why you're asking that question, that when I was a teenager, I was not clear about what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure of my passion because I wanted to do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a magician. Oh. A stage magician. I loved Harry Houdini, and I had the stage name of Harry Excello. And I was going to do death-defying feats. I even invented magic tricks. This is all when I'm like 13, 14, 15 years oh, old. Funny. Huh. I also wanted to be the heavyweight boxing champion of the world. I was very much into boxing. I knew who the greatest fighters were. I collected their old footage, the black and white films that were on 8mm, I guess they were called back then. And mm-hmm. I would study them. And of course, today I've met Mike Tyson and George Foreman. And, and these guys would have killed me. <laughs> there was no way I would <laughs> have lasted funny. even in huh. their shadow. But as a kid, I explored it. I also wanted to be a baseball player. I thought of Babe Ruth. And I wanted to be a detective. I think I saw too many old TV shows about detectives. And I thought, I want to be like that. It looks like it's an adventurous thing. So as I was deliberating on what do I want to do, and this is as a kid, I did note that books were the common denominator in everything. Hmm. I read about boxers in books. I read about magic in books. I read about baseball in books. I read about attorneys in books. I was reading books and I thought, well, maybe I should be an author. And if I wrote novels, I can be those characters in different books. So I decided early on that I would be a writer. And of course, it took about three decades to actually pull it off. But anybody, I mean, you've interviewed enough people to know there is no such thing as an overnight success unless you define overnight as about 15 to 30 years. Right. But you keep listening, right? Like when you write these books, that's the thing with your with reading your books. It's like listening to these stories that you write. And you're I feel like you're using what comes to you in this book is what you've learned and you put your, all these lessons that you learned into it. That's what I love about it. Cause I can relate. It's so relatable and it's so, it's like, I can absorb it, but you're listening to that, that talk about your intuition. Cause that's part, that's a big part of all of the journey of these 80 books right. that you've written. Yeah. I'm a guy who follows inspiration, but I don't want to make it sound like I did that from day one. Because I didn't. I tried to outsmart life. Like so many people, I wanted to think my way through it. One of the reasons I was reading books is to find a formula, any formula that would tell me how to get from broke to rich and famous or to get published or whatever the goal happened to be. And I kept trying that. And one of my big insights was as long as I kept trying to outthink life, Mm -hmm. I was struggling. When I started to give in to more of that silent, soft whisperings of the soul, which is what I would call intuition, things got a little easier. Now, I didn't totally trust it at first, 
But I did realize that what I was trying to do by using my mind and my intellect or my left brain, my logical side, if you will, to steer my way through life, when I realized that wasn't working, I thought, well, maybe I should try the other side. Maybe I should try the the right brain. Maybe I should be a little bit more flexible and fluid and look for the signs and symbols in life, trust my intuition and act on it. And I began to do it, but I did it reluctantly because I kept thinking, boy, my intuition doesn't seem to be real clear. It'll say turn left, but it won't tell me why to turn left. It'll say, go pick up this particular book and I'll go, why? And, you know, left brain, the logical side looking for the answer. And so at first I fumbled my way through following intuition because a part of me was suspicious of it. I was looking for a complete answer and intuition was giving me more like breadcrumbs. It was more like, pick this up and walk a little bit more, and we'll give you another breadcrumb, then walk a little bit more, and we'll give you another little sign or symbol. But what I found was, that is the easier way to life, and that is the way that opened up a path to riches for me. Huh. I'm thinking of Steve Jobs, who said, you can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can connect the dots looking backward. Yes. And what that means to me is when I look forward and I want to do any number of things, I don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. I can guess, I can fabricate some sort of map, I can create a strategy or get a bunch of people together and say, let's do this, then do this, then do this. But as soon as we implement it, life rushes in with its own plan. What usually happens is that you take a step. And then something is revealed to you, usually through your intuition, you take that step, and then something else is revealed to you. And by the time you achieve your goal, it's a goal you never could have mapped out the way to it. Right. No, I know. It's never about the how. And people focus so much on that. And then the fear comes and then it stops them. And I think for me, not really having any direction and clarity in my life in my 20s, kind of, you know, college, oh, that was a waste of time. You know, all the things that I do and like not having the clarity. And that's, I think, why really I, as a mom and having kids older, understanding the clarity having clarity in life and talking about what are interests in you and, you know, at a young age and trying to get to that, you know, little light bulbs that come off. Oh yeah. Follow it. Let's go a little bit. And once they realize they can get through that and get the breadcrumb and then pass that fear. Oh, that fear, the mountain. I love your example of the mountain versus the escalator. I did the mountain. Now I'll show you the escalator, (laughs) (laughs) but that's what I want them to get. Like we're human and we're going to climb the mountains and we're going to go to the valleys, right? But to understand these little tools that, you know, that I've learned and you've learned your whole life that is embedded in you now, you know, so now you can ride the escalator, right? And follow and help people get there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. A while back, I started announcing, you know, there, there's two ways through life. There's the rocky, hard road up the mountain. Most of the time you're paving, you're clearing, you're carving out your own path. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a little bit bloodier. It's a little bit more dramatic. It's a little bit more exhausting. But I found on the other side of the mountain, there was an escalator. (laughs) And you can take the escalator by getting on it and kind of going with the flow of life. It's all going in the same direction. It's all going up. Most of us are reluctant to go with it. We're kicking and screaming because we don't know where it's going and we think it should go somewhere else. But if we get on the escalator and go for the ride, things are a little smoother. Right. I also remind people, you don't have to get on the escalator. A lot of people like drama. Yeah. It's okay. 
as long as you know you're choosing that, if you would like to have that as entertainment, if you will, you know, it keeps your days interesting and unpredictable, then go on up the rocky side of the mountain. But you do have a choice. Yes, you can surrender to an easier way. Yes, free will. That's it. You have free will. You can choose it. That's actually brilliant, Ashley, because my view is we do have free will, but it's actually better said as free won't Mm -hmm. because we're all given this path. We're all given the intuition. We're all given the magic, if you will. But we have the ability to say no. That's really free will. We can say yes to what's being presented to us, or we can go, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it on my own. That's free will. That's actually okay as long as we realize we're making that choice. Right. So so for me, though, you know, at age 67, I have found it is far happier, healthier, easier, more beneficial to all concerned if I say yes. Yes. Didn't you write a book on something like that? What Probably, was the title? I don't know. I've written 80 <laughs> books. I don't remember. Jeez, I can't imagine 80 books. I told my husband that this morning. I go, he's written 80 books. He said, what? 80 books? I'm like, <laughs> yep. yeah, 80. Most people haven't written that many books. I know. And I'm sure he's one. <laughs> but, you know, so talk about faith because I feel like, you know, that's such a part of that. And I know you, you wear things, you have like symbols, the yeah, faith of a mustard seed. And I know that <laughs> Lisa, how you gave Lisa one she showed me. And, you know, she has these little tokens. And I had talked to her in our interview about, you know, I said the obstacle is the way, and I felt like her life. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I hope she gets the coin out that you gave her. The obstacle is the way we had all these, like, you know, these moments in our interview, but will you describe in your way of how, what faith is to you? That's a great question. You know, and I do have little reminders. I have a little ring on my pinky. I'm sure you can't see it at all, but it's 2,500 years old. Wow. It is from ancient Italy. It's uh, got a Latin word engraved on it, fidem, F-I-D-E-M. And fidem means faith. And I used to not wear it because I thought, well, it's too valuable for one thing. And I remember Dr. Hulen, the, the fellow who taught me Ho'oponopono, which I've written about in three other books. He held it for a long time. And then he said, this is a powerful ring. He said, this ring was worn mm-hmm. by a great orator. And he said, you need to wear it and never take it off. And so I do. And whether it is because there's some sort of symbolic, emotional, true meaning about some orator from a past time wore it, or it's simply because it's reminding me of faith. And I have stood on stage as a little clip I posted on Instagram the other day of one of the talks I gave. And I talked about the ring. I also brought out a mustard seed. I was looking around to see if I had one here. Oh, I do. A mustard seed coin. And this mustard seed coin actually has, I'm sure you can't see that either. There's a mustard seed in there. And there's that famous quote, I don't have my glasses on, but it says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you'll be able to do what Jesus and other greats have done or even more. Mm -hmm. And so when I start talking about faith, I usually end up saying, how much faith do any of us really have? Because we're being told, whether it's the mustard seed story or we're being told through other stories, that we have the faith, if we have the ability to do virtually impossible things. But most of us are faith wimps. We don't really have faith. 
Right. We have a tiny little belief that, hey, it's all got to work out or, yeah, I can I can handle things or, yep, uh, God or the divine or the universe is watching my back. And we kind of just mosey around with feel good statement, but mm-hmm. we don't actually take a leap right. to do something really great. And I, for one, think that's why we're here. We're supposed to do something that's a little bit of a push out of our comfort zone. And it's a little bit great in its own field. I mean, it doesn't mean you've got to cure cancer, or cure COVID, but maybe it's raising the greatest kids right. and teaching them the secret, the law of attraction while they're still in the womb. Right. You know, there's something that's unique for each one of us, but we don't all accept the challenge. Mm-mm. And largely because we don't have faith. Right. We don't have faith. I did write a book called Faith a long time ago. And I I remember I said there were three kinds of faith. I said there was faith in yourself that you can actually do whatever it is you're being asked to do. And I can tell you different stories about how I had to butt up against faith by finally believing I could do what I was being called to do. But Mm -hmm. that was the first faith, faith in myself. Right. Then there's the faith in other people. Everything that happens in our world is happening in terms of relationship. We're all in relationship to everybody else. Even when people want money, where's the money going to come from? It comes from other people. It comes through our relationships. Even you and I now, this is because of a relationship. You interviewed Lisa Winston, my partner. I heard how great it was, how great you were. And I said, hey, I want to be next. And here we are doing this because of a relationship. So faith in other people is the second part. But the third was and is faith in the divine. Faith in a, uh, I use God, but a lot of people still have luggage around God. Mm -hmm. And so they bring in their own interpretations. But I'm talking about, Joseph Campbell called it the great mystery. Mm -hmm. I call it the great something. The Mm -hmm. divine, the universe, Gaia, God, whatever you want to call it. Yes have faith that it's there for you too. Yes. All of this, when you start believing in yourself, believing in other people and believing that you're, you got your back watched by the greatest force of all time, then you can go forth. And if you're called to open a bakery, you can open the bakery. If you're called to read certain books to your kids, whether five months old, you do it. If you're called to write 80 books, well, over a lifetime, you end up writing 80 some books because of your faith in yourself, other people, and the universe. Yes, but so many people stop and have those limiting beliefs that I know you believe in epigenetics and how it was even programmed before, you know, in another, from our grandparent, all those things. Will you explain Mm -hmm. that and why, how people can get through that? Yeah, epigenetics is is fairly recent in terms of a scientific discovery. I think Bruce Lipton and other Mm -hmm. smarter men than me and scientists than me are doing their research and talking about this. But epigenetics is basically saying that some of the programming you have right now didn't come from you and it didn't come from your parents. It came from your great-grandparents. It skipped a generation or two, but it's showing up in your DNA. It's showing up in your system. And so here we are, you and I and other people that might be watching or listening to the show, and we wonder, why do I have a limit in this particular area? Well, it may have nothing to do with you or anything you've done or thought or anything your parents done or thought, but it does have to do with what you were downloaded. You were downstream, so to speak. And you inherited what was coming through the the bloodline. 
Now, that's not necessarily bad news either, because what Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza and some of the other peers and colleagues and people I greatly admire are finding and pointing out is that you can change all of it. You can change your DNA. You can change your personality. You can change what seems to be unchangeable. And that's one of the greatest bits of news that's coming from the new research that's out there. So none of us have to be a victim. Right. None of us have to say, oh, it's because of my epigenetics. You know, I, I know that my father was five years old when the Great Depression in America hit. He was born in 1925. Great Depression is 1929. And so he was dead wired for lack and limitation. And he lived that way. He lived to be 93 years old. And even when he was in his 90s, he's wearing a T-shirt that had holes in it. Oh, I remember right. saying, Dad, can I buy you a T-shirt? Right. <laughs> and oh, he looked funny. and he said, why? There's nothing wrong with this one. Because in his mind, oh, lack and limitation was the way of life. Hmm. But he didn't have anybody around him, possibly me, that would have said something like, you know, you can change if you want to. And I'm right. pretty sure he would not have wanted to. He was set in his ways. Right. The whole point is, for the people that are watching this kind of a show and listening to this kind of an interview, it's all good news because you can change whatever that happens to be. There's lots of tools, lots of modalities. You can even trust your intuition to lead you to create one, lead you to find one. So none of us have to be stuck. None of us have to be a victim. So going back to your dad, there was a story that I, when we were, you were talking about wealth and how you were realizing you were coming to a block yes. and that you realized that your dad, you didn't want to be more successful than him. Yeah. You had an aha light bulb moment. You go, yeah, go there I, and how people have that. I mean, I can, I bet a lot of people have those blocks. Well, we all have blocks of one shape or another. Right. And they're all erasable. They're all deletable. We may have to do a little bit of work to find them. We may even have to get a coach or mentor or counselor sometimes to guide us. But it's all removable. And the story you're referring to, I'll just flesh it out a little bit for somebody who may not know it, is way back in the early days of the internet. So we're talking about the 1990s. And I was lucky enough to be one of the internet pioneers. I wrote one of the first books on internet marketing, which I think came out in 95. And I was known as an internet marketer and internet copywriter long before The Secret was ever on anybody's radar. And even though I was a spiritual person and trusting intuition, I didn't talk about it because I was very much into business and entrepreneurship and and doing the internet kind of thing. So I was making more and more money, more than I had ever had before. But I hit a ceiling. And I thought, this is strange. How is there a ceiling on the internet? There isn't anybody policing the internet. There isn't anybody right. saying, oh, you can't make more than that. Stop. Stop your selling <laughs> now. And so I thought, well, it must be me. Which is, the story kind of illustrates a way of doing the self-reflection. I looked at the reality. It's like, okay, I'm doing well. I am making more money. I am not homeless now. I am not in poverty now. In fact, I'm getting ready to buy a house, you know? So things are looking up. But why does it feel like I can't go higher than this income? Because if there's billions of people on the planet, more and more of them are going on the internet, how come I can't make unlimited amounts of money? So as I questioned, and then I looked within myself, I had, to, this came from intuition. Huh. This, yeah, because I wasn't talking to anybody. I, this, this bubbled up in self-awareness, self-reflection, and intuition letting me know 
I was afraid that my father would be embarrassed if I made more money than him. I had self-regulated my own income. I created a wealth set point, not intentionally. This is important to know because I keep saying these beliefs are in our subconscious and unconscious mind. So we sit there going, I didn't try to do that. I didn't try to be homeless. I didn't try to be in poverty. I didn't try to make less money than my father. My subconscious mind did. Yes. Huh. When I realized it and I went, wait a minute, let me now question that belief. Is it true that my father would be upset or embarrassed if I made more money than him? And I almost laughed out loud because I thought, no, he'd be proud. Yes. He might huh. be curious, <laughs> might be confused, but <laughs> he would be proud. And ultimately that belief, like so many beliefs, when you question it, disappeared. And I made more money. And my father was impressed. And he did tell me how much, how, you know, he died a little while ago, so I'm still tender there. Right. He told me how proud he was. Oh, I love that. If that yeah. You did have a tough 2020. He passed away this last, right? Yes. Uh, the, yeah, the last year and a half. I, You probably know through your interview with Lisa, but on my side of things, they were pretty much the worst year and a half or two years of almost my entire life. Because we're dealing with, uh, first of all, I went through divorce. And that should have been easy because I was offering everything. I just was going to walk away. But instead, instead, it turned out to be a persecution of my life and business. And during that time, my father did pass. During that time, a family member attempted suicide. During that time, my best friend passed. During that time, Lisa, my new partner, developed neuro-Lyme disease and confused both of us, ended up pretty much on her deathbed. And I was caretaking for her while going through grieving, while going through the struggle with a family member, while going through divorce. And then, of course, all of us got to share in COVID, you know, <laughs> which in my case... Oh. My biggest income has always come from traveling and being on stages. Wiped out. Totally wiped out. Everything's been done like much like this. It's done over Zoom. It's done virtually. Right. So, yes, all of that period came about. Now, there's a lesson here. And when I say this whole story, I want people to realize something. And this is really important, Ashley, because so many people get into the law of attraction. They get into the movie or following the movie The Secret, they get very excited, and well, they should be. But the problem is, is when they expect life to be problem-free, when they think it's never going to rain again, there's never going to be a hassle or a bad day or a bad moment or a disappointment or a breakup or an illness or a death in the family, as soon as they start thinking that, they're going into unrealistic magical thinking mm -hmm. because life is set up that there will be challenges. Right. Or it'd it be may boring, be different right? for everybody, or it could be <laughs> shared like a pandemic. And what we need to realize is that they will pass. But as long as we can maintain the faith, maintain our strength, maintain our relationships, we can get through it all. And one day at a time. One day. Thank you. I'm impressed with you have followed my work and read my material. And not only that, remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I told you, I, you, you um, speak to me, you know, there's certain people that speak to you that I remember that it just sinks into me, but it is one day at a time. And I love the um, story about your attorney um, through this oh, last yeah. divorce, where he said to focus on the future. 
Yeah, you know? I, I was suffering and trying to deal with all of this, which was, divorce and everything was new to me. I didn't, it's a whole, it's not the law of attraction world, put it that way. <laughs> right. It's a whole different world. You're visiting another planet. And I was being batted around as I tried to find my way and awaken to my role in creating what I was in and mm-hmm. then how to uncreate it. But early on, I asked my attorney, I said, look, you do this for a living. You've seen all kinds of people who are suffering and I'm suffering. I said, what's the best advice you ever heard? And the advice he gave is really advice, no matter what anybody's going through, it's advice for everybody right now watching or listening. And that is focus on the future. Yeah. What do you want? What do you right. want to create? What's your intention? Yes, be in the moment. Appreciate the moment. The moment is the miracle. I teach that, preach that, get on a soapbox and talk about that. Mm -hmm. But out of the moment, you have an eye towards where you want to go. Right. You're not a victim. You're not reacting to life. You're actually getting to create it. Right. You know, I am so about teaching children that like the intention and, you know, focus on, you know, especially like, instead of just like drifting around, I think it's because I was drifting (laughs) is, you know, like having that direction and having that, you know, focusing on the future. And I, ever since I heard that story, it has come into my mind a lot. I'm like, focus on the future. Like, you know, you know, where are you going? Let's go, let's move. You know, like Tony says, like kick through the door, let's do it. But I want to go to, we're both getting excited until we start talking over each other here, which I think is so cool. (laughs) You're a joy to talk to. So that makes it easy for all these different ideas to come up. I'm a great believer in setting intentions, even though I still think inspiration is richer and more powerful and more surprising than an intention. Intentions get me closer to inspiration. So throughout the day, I set intentions for everything. Before you and I got on this call, I closed the door, tapped a few deep breaths, got present, got centered. And then I stated an intention for this call. I wanted to be present here. I wanted to be helpful. I wanted to give information and inspiration that helped everybody that would ever come in contact with you or this show so that my mind's not thinking about the past. I'm not thinking about the future. I'm not thinking about anything else. The intention is for this moment. I'm creating this. When this is over, I'll think about the future again. I'll think about what am I going to do next? I think I have to do something with Lisa or take her somewhere. I'll set an intention for that because I'll be driving. And it's like, well, I want a safe drive, you know, get there on time, get there back on time. The practice of stating intentions, if nothing else, is like flexing my creative muscles. It -hmm. is reminding me that I get to create. I get to create, even if I get stuck somewhere, whether it's a divorce or it's in traffic, I get to create how I view it. Right. So the constant reminder that I have more control than I ever imagined before, certainly more than when I was homeless or in poverty. And we all need that kind of reminder. Right. For sure. You know, I going through your healing and going, you know, I'm sure every day you had to focus on the future (laughs) and then the ho'oponopono. Gosh, see, I yeah. thought I, is that right? That is oh, right. That's perfect. Okay. So I just finished, like I told you, the second book that you wrote at zero. And it really changed. I mean, I, I loved every single chapter. I'm like 19, chapter 20. I'm like, oh my gosh, I want more in the stories and <laughs> learning about the Morna prayer and her, yeah. and I, I printed that so I could say it four times and understanding that whole concept. Because at, when I went to Tony Robbins, he 
talks about that prayer and, you know, he has the Ho'oponopono bracelets and we were outside saying, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And we kept doing it over and over. And I, after reading at zero, it made it more, it came to me, understand it better, but could you give your kind of podcast version of it? (laughs) (laughs) My podcast version of things. I like that. Well, I've ended up writing three books about Ho'oponopono. There's a new one called The Fifth Phrase, which is probably my most recent book. So there's now three books all about Ho'oponopono. It all started with Zero Limits, which is probably what Tony Robbins read. And then I wrote At Zero, which you just read, and then The Fifth Phrase. So I've had a long romance with Ho'oponopono that began probably in 2005. Hmm. The irony of all of this is, I was filmed for The Secret in 2005. The Secret came out in 2006 when everybody wanted me on their show from Oprah to Larry King. And of course, I was on Larry King twice. And all these other shows, they're asking me about the law of attraction. They're asking me about The Secret. But my mind was on Ho'oponopono. Oh, cool. Huh. Yeah. The the Secret and Law of Attraction was like old news. Right. I get that after understanding it. The world hard. Yes. It was hitting the world hard. And so it was kind of a weird place to be because I almost felt like I had gone to graduate school, but I was being asked to go back to kindergarten. Oh, funny. (laughs) So I get that. Come and talk about, you know, cursor again. (laughs) I'm like, cursor? I'm using computers. Oh, funny. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) But the, uh, but Ho'oponopono is incredibly powerful to think that on the basic level, there's only the four phrases. And when people say the four phrases inside themselves, as they're considering whatever the problem or challenge is, they can usually dissolve it. They don't Mm -hmm. even have to know what the beliefs are. They can do it almost magically. And I think a lot of it is metaphysical, psychological, and esoteric. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with four phrases. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. And as you know, you can say them in any order. I I think I tend to go with, I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You do it long enough. It ends up being the audio in the back of your head. It's playing now for me. I used to say it was the eight track in my head. And I thought, update that quite a bit. (laughs) I can't even say it's a CD player now. It's like, well, it's a digital I know. It's the (laughs) digital loop. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I've also done it enough that I've seen that it goes really deep. A lot of people, when they start saying, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, they will say things like either whatever the problem was was gone like that, they had a relationship issue, next thing you know, the person that was upset with them called them up, they're friends again, you know, it was like magic, how did this happen? And then other people will say, I started doing Ho'oponopono and I really love the method, but all hell broke loose. I had all these problems happen. How come these problems showed up? And I would have to explain, well, you're like this glass of water. It's interesting. This looks dirty. If the glass of water has been sitting for a while, all the sediment went to the bottom. And right. if you suddenly start stirring it up, all the sediment goes all around. Well, Ho'oponopono kind of stirs it up. And why is it stirring it up? To get it clear. To right. get it clear. So sometimes the very first thing that happens is a little bit of a shakeup in order to get the clarity. I have also found that Ho'oponopono was worth doing whether you have a problem or not, because I forget if it's in that book that you just read or one of the earlier ones. I referred to Ho'oponopono being kind of like a street sweeper or a snowblower that comes out at night. 
And most of us don't think about this. If we're living in the city, you know, we get up at five in the morning, we go to Starbucks, we go to work, and the roads are clear. But we don't think anything about how they got clear. Mm -hmm. But in the middle of the night, the city had, if it's in the winter months, the snowblowers came out there and they blew all the snow away. Or the city came out with their workers and they picked up the trash or as much as they could. And then you get there and you start driving and you're able to drive. The path is clear. That's why you want to do Ho'oponopono. It is clearing your path into your future. And this is, again, why faith is so important. Because if you're doing Ho'oponopono and your road's being cleared, you don't know what was cleared. It's almost like at night when you're sleeping, you don't know how much snow was on the ground that they removed, or you don't know how much garbage was on your road that they removed because you were not there when it took place. They did it. So Ho'oponopono was enlisting the other side, the spiritual side, the invisible side, the esoteric side to work on your behalf. And after writing three books, I have heard every story you can think of. Hmm. Everything from people healing animals to relationship problems, finance problems, I don't know, interpersonal problems, course health problems. But you kept your mom when you did that in the hospital. You kept her alive five more years with that. Ashley, I'm so impressed with you. Some people interview me and they don't have a clue what I do. Oh, funny. (laughs) You not only interview me, but you've read the books and remember (laughs) passages. Yeah, the short, short story there was, this is now several years ago. The entire family got called in because my mother was admitted to the intensive care, emergency room intensive care, and it did not look good. It did not look like she was going to live. And so we were all called in and I was on the road. I was traveling, no COVID at that point, no whisper of anything gonna, bad going to happen. So I had to cancel appointments, flew to Ohio, went to the emergency room and I saw her and she was in an intensive care that had five other people in it. Four of them died while I was there. Oh, geez. This was the intense, intensive care. And my mother's kind of out of it. And my family is, they're in shock. They're in confusion. They're kind of wandering around. They don't even know what to say. They don't know what to do. And neither do I. And I'm frustrated. And I remember sitting and looking and I'm, you know, I've got doctorates, but I'm not a medical doctor. I did, there was nothing I could offer. So the only thing I knew to do was to do Ho'oponopono. I sat in a chair beside her and I was doing Ho'oponopono. And it's really important to realize, and I know you know this, but a lot of people, when they first hear Ho'oponopono, want to teach it to everybody or do it for everybody or ask people to do it for them. Ho'oponopono is a solitary experience. Mm -hmm. It is you doing it on you because of whatever has triggered you. Right. It's not about correcting somebody else. It's about correcting you. So when I sat beside my mother and I'm saying, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. It is to make me get to some form of peace because I was not peaceful. I am upset. This is my mother. I am grieving. I'm scared. I'm even angry. I'm thinking she might've been able to do a few things that she'd been more conscious in her own life. And, you know, all my judgments were there. Mm-hmm. You can hear them even as I struggled to articulate this whole story. So what was I trying to heal? I was trying to heal me. I was trying to get to a place of peace, to a place of acceptance, to a place of serenity. And I did Ho'oponopono. I don't know if it was an hour or two hours, but the nurses came by and said that visitors all had to leave. So we left. 
I admit that I was not 100% clear. I was clearer. I was happier. I was more trusting. I was more in a place of, obviously, I have to let go. I can't do anything. She's in the best hands possible. She's watched 24-7. I have to let go. I have to trust. So I go. The next day, she's awake. She's alert. And she was pronounced well enough to, to go home. Oh, my gosh. She went home and stayed there for the next five years. Man. Uh, she's gone now. Whether, whether my Ho'oponopono saved her or saved me, I don't know. Hmm. But the whole point is you do it for everything with a level of trust that not my will but thine be done kind of a statement. Right. So you can let go. But when you talk about this and it's, it's the clearing, it's the cleaning and you're cleaning and you're cleaning and you're cleaning. And then you have the, like you talk about the cigar, you know, is that okay? You know, that's my, and it's okay. It's the meaning you put toward it. Or like he talks about the hot chocolate and, you know, the different things. And what about the blue solar water and all those little things that were symbols, but it's the symbol it's just a symbol, but it's the meaning that you give it. Like when you were doing, when you would feel bad about smoking the cigar, but that was what was cleaning you. Right. I did, right. Yeah. And you again, I'm impressed. <laughs> you read my books and remember them. So thank you. You know, authors don't get enough of this. So I'm going to be strutting around the rest of the day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how cute. I love it. Lisa will look at me and I'll go, I was talking to Ashley. You get it, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Anyway, there's a lot of tools in Ho'oponopono. Blue solar water is one of the most uh, popular ones. And basically, you take a blue bottle. It's a bottle that has the blue tint to it. Fill it with regular tap water and you put it in the sun. And the theory is, is that the sun is creating clearing water. The sun coming through the blue tint hitting the water, we can leave it in overnight, but I think we were told even an hour of it sitting in the sun is enough. And then you would drink that. You can drink a little bit every day, but it is also used as a clearing tool. But in Ho'oponopono, anything and everything can be a healing tool and a clearing tool. Uh, Strawberries are a big one. Oh, yeah. Which I I was glad to hear it because I love strawberries. Right. Well, I heard strawberries, (laughs) blueberries, and then the M&Ms or something. The M&Ms I had trouble with. I was in a fitness contest during that time. It was like (laughs) M&Ms and and all of that was the devil. (laughs) So so he's like, eat M&Ms to get clear. It's like, what? How can I eat M&Ms? And he said, well, you don't have to eat it. You can lick it. Yeah. M&M. Look at M&M and put it, what? None of this made sense. So you get to pick and choose what works for you. And I do remember that when Dr. Hulen came to the house I was living in at the time, I had a gym and ironically in the gym, I kept my cigars (laughs) and I was a little worried. I thought he was going to judge me. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, when he finds out I'm smoking cigars, especially I keep the cigars in the gym, which seems counterintuitive, oh, funny. he's going to say something. And he did say something. He said, cigars have been known to be a peace pipe. They are a way of bonding. He says, they're just pure tobacco. He says, it's actually a clearing tool. So oh. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> yeah, okay, get the M&Ms. I got cigars now. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> I bet you couldn't wait to have that cigar that night. Oh, yeah, I was blessed. It was a cigar blessed by Dr. Hulen, who I treated as a guru, which, of course, he doesn't want to be. He's not a guru. And, you know, even Tony Robbins, who you've mentioned, has said, I am not your guru. Right. right. Be your own guru. 
Exactly. But you know, you think of, um, but if people could get that, just that little simple, I love you. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. And have that, you know, where it says mantra in your brain all the time. And I, you know, I, that symbol of the Etch-A-Sketch, you know, where you can just like, and shake it. Cause you know, I, we grew up with those. That was like my toy at Christmas, <laughs> right. but I thought, gosh, that's such a good visual. You know, those little things that you can just clean, clean it. But when people understand, I always would, they're everyone, like what your beliefs are and what's going on inside of you is a reflection of everything outside. And the things that you react to need to be, you know, like to understand that it's not that person. And so when my friends will ask me, explain that, like, what do you mean by everything outside of me? Or if I react to my son, it's something inside of me. And I said, yes, it is something that he's doing that you, or you wouldn't be reacting. Yeah, and that's, right? that's really the case. There's two or three ways to look at this. And it does take a little bit to get it because it's not the way we normally think. It's not the way we were brought up to think. We're all brought up more or less to feel like victims, which means everybody else is doing things to us. So it feels like it's all out there. Right. In Ho'oponopono, and, and I think in most spiritual advanced practices, what we're looking at is most of life is an illusion. I actually think it's an optical illusion. It's not just an illusion. It's an optical illusion. You get what you <laughs> believe. Right. You don't get what's actually there. You get what you believe. So the very first thing I look at is I say, where do you experience the kids when they misbehave or even when they do something great? Where do you experience it? You never experience it out there. You always experience it in you. There is no other place to experience it. It's in you. So Ho'oponopono's whole job is about correcting perception. And in fact, Ho'oponopono in Hawaii means to make right, to correct. Hmm. And what we're doing is looking at the way we're looking at things. Take my mother's example. When I first looked at her, I was judgmental. I was judgmental of her. I was judgmental of myself. I was judgmental of the doctors around me. Where was all of that being felt? It wasn't in the hallways. It wasn't in her. It wasn't in the doctors. It was all in me. Right. And when I turned and aimed Ho'oponopono at me, it was to clear up this. And I'm pointing in my chest rather than up here because I think this felt sense, mm-hmm. which is more in, intuitive based, is more authentic to the core of what's going on. Now, the thing that's really cool, and this is what Dr. Hulen demonstrated, and which is what made the Ho'oponopono so famous, is that I had discovered he had helped heal an entire ward of mentally ill criminals at the state hospital in Hawaii doing Ho'oponopono. And what I point out to people is that these patients were violent. They had to be shackled and sedated daily. When he was there, he didn't prescribe anything to them. He didn't do any traditional therapy with them. He worked on himself. He worked on his perceptions of them. Why? The perceptions are inside of himself. So his feelings, whether he's repulsed or enraged, are in him. They're not outside floating around somewhere. They're in him. As he did Ho'oponopono to remove those feelings, this is the magic. The inmates got better. On some sort of level that I admit I can't quite describe, when we take care of the inner, all of that stuff that we were judging, all of our perceptions, all of the reflection and everything, 
somehow it shifts. Right. Either the people that were bothering us just kind of lift, leave our orbit. Yeah, They're no exactly. longer in our life experience. Oh, they got to raise and move. What? <laughs> a thousand miles away now? <laughs> right. Or it no longer bothers you. It's no longer an issue. The issue's gone. Why? The issue was in you. Gosh, this isn't is, that a powerful it's, tool? It's profound. But, you know, I think when, when I, after reading that book and thinking of, it's such an awareness and I, gosh, just even today, knowing I'm going to see you and I'm like thinking of all your little, you know, sayings and tricks and whatever, all your amazing things, your wisdom. And I thought, huh, everything that I see right now is a reflection of me, the way I see it. And to see that that way and have that awareness and to me want to go straight to my children and describe it and see how they, to save them from, you know, the judgment and thinking of how, you know, the children these days and my girls, you know, the little, the oldest just started high school and COVID, you know, the brand new school and girls and all that, but the judgment and the, you know, the mean girls and all that. And I thought, oh, you know, but you don't, that's can't even come from you. You know, you wouldn't even treat someone that way, right? Like that does have nothing to do with you. So, you know, just having even that tool as a guidepost in life and having that awareness in everything when anyone is irritating, you know, why is that irritating me? That's something in me, you know, always. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I talk about powerful tool. Like if that's one thing you learn from this whole thing, I mean, I really think that's just amazing. And I would agree. It's still amazing. That's why I'm still practicing it. And when it comes to challenges in life, it's one of the chief tools I go to. And I see why now, now knowing you, why you said you had just, they launched the secret and you're into this. They're like, wait, what a, I don't need the secret anymore. I need this. Right. <laughs> we got to do a new movie already. <laughs> right. Yeah. I had to bite my tongue a lot of times. It was like, I want to talk about this other thing. Right. I get it because that's how I feel. Like it just kind of, it's this new way of looking at things, new way of being a new awareness. Right. And we're coming to the hour and I, I know where I could go at part two, part three. So right now you have a new book out. I have like five. Let's, let's talk. <laughs> I know I was trying to think, well, I know that Jewel said there's a new book. I'm like, okay, there's one with Tim. Like I, what are you talk about your, what's going well, on I, now? Where you're I, going? I actually wrote yeah. them down. So I wouldn't forget what oh. my own books were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny. The fifth phrase is the third book about Ho'oponopono. That's the third in the trilogy called The Fifth Phrase. And what is the fifth phrase? Can I quickly ask you what that means? No, you can't. Well, I mean, you can ask. I'm I'm not going to answer it. Oh, okay. I wrote a whole book to explain what the fifth phrase is. If I say what the fifth phrase is, people might just dismiss it. Okay. Oh, that's on my list. Okay. Money loves speed. Money loves speed. That reveals the eight laws of money that are all mental laws because I don't I don't know anything about real estate or brokering or investments and all of that. But the psychological part, yes, it's called Money Loves Speed. Then I wrote a book called The Secret to Attracting Money. Seems like I have a theme going on here. The Mm -hmm. Secret to Attracting Money. Another one called The Art and Science of Results, which I'm proud of. The Art and Science of Results really points out that the missing secret to getting results is the idea that we have to get clear of the subconscious blocks, which I referred to several times at the beginning of your interview here. But how do you get clear? So the art and science of results has nine ways to get clear. One of them is Ho'oponopono. But if somebody wants to know more, the art and science of results 
One Belief Away, I wrote with Tim Schur, which is a, uh, he's a hypnotherapist. And One Belief Away is a really powerful book that says, in general, you're one belief away from virtually anything you want. Right. Usually there's one core belief and there might be a little brothers and sisters or little siblings to the belief. But for the most part, there's one belief. So one belief away. And then if you don't mind, I have an offer for everybody. Oh, fun. Zerolimitsmethod.com. I have three incredible programs that I'm giving for $3. And one is Money Love Speed. You can have the ebook and the audio version of the book. And then I have a course called The Missing Secret. And then I have another one called The Three-Day Rule, because that basically says what you're thinking and feeling right now will generally happen in three days. Let's I was going to ask you about that. So go to zerolimitsmethod.com. Right. So the three-day thing, like when you were saying, when you really want something and you have one, it's like you focus on one thing. Yes. If you do all the work and you're like focus intention in three days, you believe that that yeah, in general, that is what's happening. But the problem is, is that we all change our mind almost instantly. Right. What I'm saying is the brain working with the cosmos, if you will, it's got to respond to images. So if we can hold an image of what we want, we're partway there. It responds to emotion. But most of us fall into fear or into hate, which is not the emotion we want to attract. We want to fall into love. Right. And then repetition. When we do those three things and just lock in on an image with the feeling of love and we keep repeating it, we will tend to create it in three days. The problem is as soon as we say, okay, I'm locked in on $5,000 in sales, um, surprise extra income this week. Next thought is, I don't never happen. <laughs> yeah. Or the next thought after that is, you know, during a pandemic, that's going to be really tough. Yeah. How am I going to do that? Right. We, we change our thoughts and we change our feelings. We doubt ourselves and everything almost instantly. Some of the scientific studies says we have 60,000 thoughts a day. Right. Most of them are negative and most of them are the same thoughts. Yeah. But the three-day rule basically says if you can lock in, uh, in the way I'm describing it, three days later, you can have it. Oh, I love that so much, so much, Joe. Oh, what a pleasure this has been. So grateful. Gratitude overload for this <laughs> hour with you. Thank you. Thank it's been you. Such Ashley. a blessing. Thank you. thank you. And it's interesting that you end with the gratitude and thank you, because as you know from my work, I think gratitude is the single most powerful thing we can do at any time, anywhere, anybody to change ourselves, to elevate ourselves, to reconnect, tap into our life mission, to magic, to purpose, to intuition, to all of it. And it's only a thank you away. Exactly. So, We're yeah. in gratitude week right now with my yeah. course. And I do so many things to explain. And all of a sudden, like by day three, the messages, because they send me, they fill in the blanks and I, you know, they do their every week, there's something or every day. And where they see they're so happy. And I know that my girls have done gratitude journals since they could write. And we do the feeling, you know, you lay in bed and then we talk about what made you feel grateful yes, from yesterday, from the day before. And it's not, I'm grateful for my school. It's, I'm so grateful, mom, that when I got to school, so-and-so came and hugged me. It made me feel so loved. Oh. But that's the gratitude, you know, but to yeah. teach that children I always say out of my eight weeks, if I had to only pick one thing, it would be the gratitude, especially in these kids, you know, like to see, like, look at your life. You know, we did have life locked down and, but let's find the gratitude in that. There's so much, you know, 
there's so much in everything. So anyway, thank you. I See, love I it. And I going. want to acknowledge you for what you're doing with kids. And I want to encourage you to light a fire under the idea that's already there and create a, a, a widespread movement to reach more kids. Yes. Whether you do it through books, you do it through online courses. This is a publicity magnet, too, because the media likes to know what's going on with kids. And if you got somebody who's doing something different, who is helping them, and you are a mother with your own kids, so you can demonstrate you're doing it at home, I think they would pick this up and run with it. So if you don't mind uh, my one-minute motivator there, I would say, please continue and do it even bigger. Oh, I say now my mantra, I am making a difference and impacting. I, first, I said millions. And then Presley, my daughter, the young one, mom, go bigger. You got to say at least 10 or 100 million. I said, you're right. We got to go big. I love that you have, a, you have a coach right in the house. Uh-huh. They, oh, they both are. Believe me. Mom, what did you just say? <laughs> you're correcting. Cancel that thought. What are you talking about? Yeah, this house is like, you can't say anything without everybody catching each other. It's so cute. Uh, that's an aware house. That's an alert house. It must be high vibe. It's well, a high thank vibe. you. I've enjoyed okay, this. Thank you. thank you for the honor. I have too. So grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.